after five months and 19 messages tracing the life of Abraham from Genesis 12 to 25, we have come to the pivotal moment of faith in the life of Abraham. And if we were to grab, you know, the heroes of the faith and, and heroic moments of faith in the Old Testament, if you're just a, you know, a sampling, take, take Noah. I mean, the guy built the ark. There was no rain. He built the ark. If you were to grab Moses, who lifted his arm to part the Red Sea. If you took Joshua, how about, how about Joshua marching around a city seven times? That's stupid. That doesn't make sense, you know, but the faith to do that. If you took David and Goliath, how about that story of faith? The shepherd boy slays the nine-foot-tall giant. If you took them all and put them together, I suggest they would not carry the weight and the gravity that bore upon the heart of Abraham as God commands him to sacrifice his only son and he obeys. Oh my. I think this is one of the most terrifying stories in the Bible. And here's why. Because we've been studying the life of Abraham and noting that this is how God matures us in the faith. What's our mission as a church? To proclaim Christ, mature in the faith, and be equipped to give our lives away. And this is how God matures our faith, matures us in the faith. And therefore, while God will not ask anyone, let me be utterly clear, will not ask anyone in this room to kill their only son. This is, this is redemptive history. He will not do that. There is still an underlying principle within the story that remains in effect. In other words, that applies to you and to me today. And I think when we embrace the principle when we experience the principle uh, oh my we end up in this terrifying story ourselves it's not just at a distance no no it's ours with Abraham we're slowing down we're going to take the chapter in two parts so that we can engage it in at least this many ways one is expositionally I'm going to exposit it quickly I won't cover it all y'all we can't but we, you know, we teach verse by verse through the Bible. We'll exposit it. So expositionally, we'll, ex, we'll engage the text. But also, I'm going to invite you at the end of this message to engage, in, engage it with your imagination. I'm going to ask you to go there, to imagine being in the text of the story. And then we're going to engage it experientially and practically. You guys, I'm going to put something in your hand. I am going to put something in your hand and invite you to consider your own Isaac and what it might mean for you to lay your Isaac down. We're going to take the first 10 verses today. Michael's going to grab the back end, verses 11 to 24. If we take the first 10 verses, we can see it in three parts. For those of you with the outline mind, just get these words in your mind's eye. Uh, the story goes this way. There is God's timing, verse 1, God's timing. Then there is verse 2, God's test. And then verses 3 through 10 will be Abraham's obedience, okay? So just hold that in your mind's eye. God's timing, God's test, and Abraham's 
obedience. I'm going to take it a verse at a time at first, and then we'll grab the whole back end. Let's follow along. If you have your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 22. We are picking up our study in verse 1 of chapter 22, God's word to you and I today. This is about God's timing. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God's time, I want to stop there. After these things puts the story in its historical context. After what things? Let's, let's think about where we've been. After chapter 21, uh, after the birth of Isaac, the birth of laughter, yes. After the expulsion of Ishmael, the son of the flesh. After the covenant he made with King Abimelech, which secured the well after he planted the tree and worshiped the everlasting God and sojourned in the land for many days. Are you with me? After these things, and by the way, it's after probably 10 years. You know, we don't know for sure, but at least a decade. We're gonna note how he interacts with Isaac and we're gonna note, you know, Isaac born at that, you know, born before and now we think he's, I don't know, it could be 13 to 17 years old as a young boy. So after a decade, after these things. Now, we the readers are informed that this is a test, okay? Very important. Abraham doesn't know it's a test. Don't lose that. We do. Abraham did not know that this was a test. When we look at the word test, this Hebrew word in, in the Old Testament, and even go into the, go into the New Testament, uh, we see that a, a test is that by which God uh, proves God uh, pulls out or reveals the, the true nature of something or someone. Some versions say God tempted. Maybe the King James says God tempted, which kind of throws, a, throws it kind of in a negative light, like it's not a good thing. Well, no, the, the, the better translation is God tested Abraham. Proverbs 17.3 is going to help us here. Let me read it. Don't turn there. It says, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts, tests, the refining pot, the furnace. When the gold or silver went in the refining pot of the furnace, let me tell you something, it was hot. And it purified the silver and the gold and the dross rose to the top and you skim the dross off and then you go, here's the gold. Here's the integrous silver. Let me say this, you know, if, if metal could speak, it would be screaming. Ah, you know, because that is not normal heat, you see. It's hyperheat that he brings to test. Now, this reminds us, if you are following Christ, you will be tested. You cannot avoid the furnace and the refining pot of God. You, can I say this? You will not. There's no sugarcoating this. God tests his own. Now, two things I want to say about this timing. It was a surprise to Abraham. He did not see this coming. I mean, we got 10 years of 
prosperity. I don't know what you, you can call it that, but I'll say this. It's absolutely 10 years where Abraham and Sarah would be going, all is good. How you doing? Fabulous. And then Abraham, God tests him. Now, our tendency, mine is, to go, you know, in life, there's times when all is good, and then there's times when there's testing. No, 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 no. The life of faith. All is good. God's testing me. They're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> uh, they belong together. God's tests are rarely, if ever, convenient. <laughs> Have you noticed that? It's, all, you know, my, it's always, not now. What does God say? precisely now see they're they're a surprise to us men and women never to God there is perfect timing uh, secondly just a principle if I can offer it this way God's past faithfulness prepares us for God's present testing God's past faithfulness in our past actually prepares us for this next moment of testing those of us with more than one child you know, oftentimes you'll have someone with one child say to you, I don't know how you do it. How do you keep up with both? How do you keep up with all three, five? You know, and, and what do those of us with more kids a little further down the road generally say to someone who says that? I think, you know, I've heard this often. I've said it. Well, you say to them, you know, God didn't give them all to us at once. <laughs> he gave us one. And he, now, I know there's some in here that got them all at once, okay? <laughs> and you know how overwhelming that is. Well, in the testing, God doesn't give it all at once. No, he he. he he gives it, he's faithful, he gives it, he's faithful, and each, each step of our own faithfulness, you see, becomes that which we draw upon to take the next step. So important, a track record of God's faithfulness in our lives. God does not bring a test without preparing you. How long has he been preparing Abraham for this test? Not, it's not a trick question. I think we could basically say, I think it's pretty accurate too. I'd suggest 35 years. From the moment he called him, you see, all these years, preparation for this test. Which tells us this, every act of faith is a deposit that we will draw upon for the next step of faith. God's timing, okay? Then God's specific test for Abraham. Look at verse 2. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Child sacrifice in this day was common. Can we, you, know, let's, you know, you and I hear that he said, sacrifice your kid. That's crazy out of the blue. Well, it's actually not out of the blue. I mean, we know historically that the Canaanites... They sacrificed their firstborn sons to appease their gods that they might have more sons. So, so when Abraham heard this, it wasn't like it was like just that's a foreign language, so to speak. Now, of course, it's foreign to the character of God. I want you to think about the utter and absolute contradiction of what faces Abraham right now. Let's get in his shoes a moment. God, you said that Isaac is the son of promise and through him will come, many, will come a nation and, 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 min, and all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's what you said. And now you say, kill your son Isaac. What, what do you do with that? 
You put that together in your head. Try. You can't. You know, our study has been Abraham, trusting God makes sense, dot, dot, dot. And what's the next phrase? We've been looking at it for 19 weeks. Even when it doesn't. Now, when I say even when it doesn't, that seems weak to this, doesn't it? This, it's not that this doesn't make sense. This is absurd. You know, this is beyond make sense. This is wrong. I mean, don't you feel that? It's wrong, you see. Two things to keep in mind. Let's go back here. God knows how it ends before it ever begins. Okay, he's God. Uh, he's not gonna violate that which he forbids, okay? Now, what did I say earlier, though? We know it's a test. Does Abraham? No, you see, it's a real test. Secondly, keep in mind that the Bible, the stories in the Bible, God is progressively revealing how he's going to redeem a fallen humanity. And so it's right for us, you see, to read this story. And you can't read the story without in your mind's eye going, that looks a lot like Calvary. It's 2,000 years future, but you and I look at it and go, God the Father slayed his only son. He did it. Out of cruelty? No. Out of infinite love for you and I that we might become his sons and daughters. So we read the story and understand it's foreshadowing the cross that we have sung about this morning. You know, this test of faith, just like leaving his family in chapter 12, Abraham set out on a journey and he didn't know where he was going. <laughs> right? He, get, he gives him a little information, but not all. By the way, the story, it's a, it's a beautiful piece of literature in this way. In chapter 12, verse 1, he, he, God says to Abraham, go forth. Okay? The Hebrew word there is go forth is what it's translated. And he leaves what? Think about the progression. Okay? This is a little bit of literature, historic literature, Bible study here. Think about the progression. Leave your country, your relatives, your dad. You see it just 12.1. Now come all the way over here to chapter 22, verse two. It's called an inclusio. So the author has put something here and put something here to show the, show the inclusion and the integrity of the story. And you read 22.1 and he says, go to, by the way, it's the same Hebrew word. This word in Hebrew is only used two times. Genesis 12, 1, Genesis 22, 2. Go to, and then notice the progression again. Do you read that and feel the weight of it? Your son, your only son, the son whom you love. What's the author trying to show us with this? See, the story is tied together and we feel the weight of this leaving even in this story with Abraham. Well, he gives him, uh, you know, it's like this. He gives him some direction. Go to those mountains. I'll tell you which one later. And it, it, it hits me, at least in this way. The step of faith that God requires of you is always just the next step. Not the last step or the tenth step. Or the second. I could say it this way. In faith, God's instructions are never complete. Darn, you know, I hate that. I want to know, I want to know all the, I want to know it all before I do the one. No. God says, do the one. 
And I'll show you the two and the three and on and on. They may be incomplete, y'all, but they are adequate to take the first step. Let me, let me say it a couple different ways. Thinking about this child's going to be the blessing. I'm going to kill him. I mean, I can't put that together. I can't rec- reconcile that in my own mind. But we can say this based on the story. What we can't reconcile in our minds, we can obey from the heart. Abraham did it. Said another way, in matters of faith, a full understanding is not required for a full obedience. Say it again. In matters of faith, a full understanding is not required for a full obedience. God's timing, God's test, and now Abraham's obedience. Verses 3 to 10, as I read this, I want you to listen to how many times the word son is used. Father, how he repeats this phrase, and they walked on together. And when you read it, you're just going, oh my gosh, don't tell me how close they are because I know what's coming, you see. And the writer is writing in that way to help us understand the gravity and the weight of what it cost Abraham to foreshadow what? The gravity that it's going to cost God to get me and you. Abraham's obedience, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I, will, I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son, and he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? For the burnt offering. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now, I want you to feel this because I read a commentary and it just hit me so. Verse, it's like verse 9 is in molasses. It's in slow motion that we would feel it. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So, so much in this story. I'm going to grab just two things that I think help unlock for us how in the world did he do it? Why would he do it? And I think unlocking that helps you and I, doesn't it, to walk in those same shoes. I'm going to give you two phrases that I believe Abraham was convinced of. Two critical statements. The first one he says to the servants in verse five, if you'll look there. Notice he's gonna take Isaac alone 
to Mount Moriah, which, by the way, uh, this is believed to be the, where the Temple Mount is today. You know, Jerusalem is where, where, where he's going to sacrifice. Um, and notice he says, we will worship and return to you. Very important plural. We, we will worship. By the way, it stays with it. And we will return. Now, was Abraham saying that just to placate the two servants so they didn't follow him? I mean, you think about, play the story out in your mind's eye, you know, you could see the two servants going with Abraham. They watch what he's doing. All of a sudden they turn, we can't let him do that. No, we can't let him do that. Get him. You know, so I, don't, I don't know. We don't know that. But what we do know is Abraham knew something that enabled him to walk in obedience. And I think we find out what that is in the book of Hebrews. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. You have to go all the way back to your New Testament. Go back to the New Testament toward the end of it. Okay, you're going past Thessalonians, Titus. You're going to get to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Imagine in your mind's eye, Abraham's traveling for three days. So he spent at least three, two nights under, listen to this, under the stars. What do you think he thought about when he laid under the stars? And he looked up and saw the stars. What's Abraham thinking about? I'm serious. What would he be thinking about based on our story and what we know of him? God's promise. Wait a minute. There's going to be more than I can count from me through this boy that I'm going to kill. What? Three days. You know, it wasn't like Abraham immediately went and did it. God put him on a journey and he had to walk for three days. He had to think about it. He had to think about it. Well, what in the world did he think about? Well, I, I'm again, I can't be dogmatic, but I want to suggest he, this tells us. Look at Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, we know we're in the right zip code, you know, for the story, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. Key verse. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which, he had also, from which he also received him back as a type. Uh, I, I don't know how God communicated it, but we can absolutely be assured that God opened Abraham's faith eyes to know that God can raise the dead. Remember last week, Rubel talked about reason and faith? The great message, I hope you go back and listen to it. I, I watched it online. And Rubel quoted two neo-atheists, two new atheists. And uh, he quoted Sam Harris, who said, faith is unjustified belief in matters of greatest concern, end quote. How about Christopher Hitchens, the late Christopher Hitchens? He wrote, quote, faith is the surrender of the mind, the surrender of reason. Let me ask you a question. According to the Bible, did Abraham check his brain out and just go, gotta do it. This don't make any sense to me. I'm gonna check my brain out and do this. Did he do it according to the Bible? Did he? No, y'all. No, no, no. What did he do? He considered that God is able. Now, what did he have? He didn't have a Bible, but what did he have? He had some past experiences of God's faithfulness. He had this 
past experience of the very character and nature of God himself. The first phrase I want to give you that I think Abraham gives us that he was convinced of and we too, we can be as convinced of as well as this. God is able to raise the dead. You see, now we've got the cross to go there. He didn't even have that yet. We do. There's a second phrase. It comes in verse eight. I want you to notice when Isaac said, where's the lamb? Abraham's response is God will provide for himself the lamb. The word provide is literally see. God will see that he provides a lamb for himself. I think this is helpful because it broadens what, what, what's happening here. It deepens it, I think, and it, it also puts it in a way that we understand. We've got an idiom that we use often. You know, if you're in a carpool, mom, and you say to another mom, you say, hey, I'll see to it that Aubrey gets home. What have you done? You have just obligated yourself. You have just taken on responsibility. I'll see to it that she gets home. God says, I'll see to it, you see, that there's a lamb for the sacrifice. The second phrase, God will see to it. Let's just hang on to these two things. I mean, Abraham had these and he, ate, and he, and he was able to do this. Now, God is able to raise the dead. God will see to it. I think you can write those on the tablet of your heart because they're confirmed from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Now, I mentioned earlier that there's a principle. Here we go. There's a principle in the story, you see, that underlies the command. And the principle remains true for you and for me. Here's the principle. Faith is letting go of everything but God. Boil down the story to its irreducible minimum and we find this principle. Faith is letting go of everything but God. Now, I don't know about you, but where I am in, in my own maturity of faith, maturing in faith, when I truly hold that, it's terrifying. I mean, we sing it, don't we? God alone, in you alone, you're my all. I mean, we sing it, and I'm not making fun of us. I'm just going, we do, and it's good to sing. But I'm just telling you, when you hold that and go, hmm, it's terrifying. Many years ago, I was uh, at a CBA convention, Christian Booksellers Association convention. Some of you, I know, have been around these things. They're massive, miles and miles of booths and displays. I was on the floor of this thing and going along and there was a booth and they had an eagle, a literal eagle exhibit. An eagle handler was there, you know, with, with an eagle on her arm, on her hand. She had a huge leather glove and the eagle just clumped down grasping her hand. And 
you know, I get curious on this stuff. So I went up to her and I, I asked her a question. I said, what, you know, the, can that eagle's claws go through the leather? I mean, is that going to puncture your hand? What is it, how do you do that? What's that about? And she told me a very interesting thing about eagles. She said, you know, the way that eagles are made, when they clamp down on a fish, they cannot let go. And she went on to say, you know, they have found eagle skeletons on the bottom of lakes with their claws in the fish. That was too big to lift. And it cost them their life. You and I, as sons of Adam and Eve, we carry within us this DNA that's the eagle instinct. We grab things and we can't let go. Now, I'm speaking now, I'm speaking to us as believers, those of us who've placed our faith in Christ. You see, the principle of the flesh remains. So you still, we're going to fight this our whole life. That yes, we, in God alone, and I'm trusting God fully, and you see, and we grab it and we can't let that go. It seems in the story, just take it, take it, it's in front of us. It seems that Abraham has grabbed God and what or who? Who in the story? Who's he holding to? He's grabbing God and the blessing. Is that wrong? According to the story, when we hold the blessing of God rather than the God who gave the blessing alone, it's, we're not on the right path, you see. The command to Abraham, it, it doesn't make sense, truly, but it do, truly doesn't make sense unless there's a, a lesson, unless God is teaching Abraham something. And if he's teaching Abraham something, then he's teaching you and I something. Well, well, well then what's he teaching through this story? It's a truth that's, that's more important than your children. It's more important than the promises. It's more important than the very blessings and good gifts of God. And that truth is this. God alone is enough. He's all we need. In relationship with God, our souls find their deepest satisfaction and God receives his greatest glory. I think John Piper said it better than anyone and it remains true. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Not his blessings, y'all, but in him. Now I'm going to ask us to wrestle with the principle. Band to come out, yeah, come on out, and I'm gonna ask the ushers to come down. And the ushers are actually gonna pass around the offering baskets. Because I'm gonna ask you to give all your money. No, just kidding, see? (laughs) Need to separate from your money, you know, totally. That would be asking far 
too little. That's nothing. I want you to take, when you get this basket, one of these shims. You see, you got a shim. You take one. You're going to grab a wooden shim. And you go, Lord, what's that? Well, I, I want you to hold this. Don't put other, other stuff. You can put it down because you're going to use both hands. I want you to hold this with the eagle grip. It, it's not hard because you, you can't help yourself. You're going to grab it. And you're going to hold this shim in your hand. Yes, this is your Isaac. It's your Isaac. What God invites you to lay down, it's what you hold to. It's what in your mind's eye, I I can't live without that. Look, I I do need God. He's everything with this. See, this is the challenge. You know, when you squeeze that, it hurts a little and it will. Everyone take a shim, hold it in one hand, squeeze it, feel it. In the other hand, I want you to imagine I'm holding God. So, so really, I'm, I'm sitting here and, and I'm, I'm, holding, I'm holding my Isaac and I'm holding God. And you know where this goes. What's God inviting us to do? He's inviting us to lay down our Isaac and hold him alone. Now, what, what's your Isaac? Well, it could be your child. Certainly, of course it could. Kids. Maybe it's your spouse. What are you holding for security? Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's financial security. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's, I don't know, is it control? You got to have it. I'll try, I try, I got I'm, I'm trying to broaden it a little bit for us, you know, because it, it, it could be so many things. And there could be way more than one Isaac you hold. We actually spend our life, don't we? Laying down our Isaacs, right? It's not just once. We keep going. I mentioned to you that we would engage the story expositionally and imaginatively and experientially, even as you hold this. I'm going to ask you to sit in these moments with your Isaac clenched in one hand. And I want you to listen to the heart of Abraham as he faces God's greatest test of his faith. about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Wake up, little Isaac, and rub your tired eyes. Go and kiss your mama. We'll be gone a little while. Come and walk beside me. Come and hold your papa's hand. I go to make an altar and to offer up my land. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. And the Lord I will obey. Lord, help me. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. So take me to the mountain, I will follow where you lead. There will place the body of the boy you gave to me. And even though you take him, still I ever will obey. But maker of this mountain, Please make another way. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. together. 
Isaac in hand. Bruce Waltke cuts to the quick of this message when he writes, quote, the focal point in the story is not the danger to Isaac, but the danger to Abraham and his relationship with God, end quote. Y'all, there's nothing more important than our relationship with God. And we clutch other things. And God says, lay it down. In the gospel, God gives his all. Jesus gives his all that we might have all. And it's not cruelty that God says, lay your Isaac down. It's infinite love that we could find all life and love and satisfaction in God alone. You know, the gospel is Jesus plus something equals nothing. Remember that. Jesus plus something equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so we go through life and remind ourselves of the gospel that I'm holding this and God's inviting me. We can hold our Isaacs and have nothing. We lay them down and we have God, all He is. Today is my son's 20th birthday. How about that? On this day. I shot him a text this morning and I just said, happy birthday. I'm teaching about Isaac and Abraham and every time I read these words, your son, your only son whom you love, I think of you. And I think I couldn't do it. And then I think God gave his son at infinite cost to himself that he might have me see. And I wrote in the text, I said, when I'm reminded of that, I want you to know you've been sacrificed because you're not mine. And boy, when, when, when we live that way, you see, then, man, I'm free to love my son fully and holy because I'm resting in the love of God and this is God's invitation to you and to me I want you to hold that shim all week I want you to keep it because when you come in next week I want you to you know I want you to take it this way Abraham had three days to think about this we've got seven so you got seven days to hold that And I want you to just write on it if you want. You don't have to, but I'm going to invite you to. To write your Isaacs. To put them on the shim. And to hold that all week. And to come back next week and come in here to worship. 
and worship God with your whole heart. And when you leave worship next week, this altar will be between the buildings and there will be a fire blazing. And it's your invitation to lay your eyes out of cruelty no because it's it's how we were made to find our all in God and in God alone would you pray with me Father this word that comes across the sand today and whispers to us lay down Isaac it comes down hard on our hearts it feels like a sword and so our prayer is that you would take us to that mountain that we would follow where you another way and there isn't for us and so we will say and declare holy is the Lord holy is the Lord and the Lord I will obey and we add Lord help us we don't know the way and we can't apart from your mighty name of Christ.